the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So yesterday I didn't have a show because I was busy doing what everyone else is doing, and that's um, getting busy in my community, getting very, very, very busy. And I am extremely blessed to have very good people around me, uh, very smart people around me. Many of them are in positions where they cannot... Uh, sacrifice their nice nestled position where they are needed uh, to assist in a front-facing capacity. But boy, I am very, very blessed. Um, so yesterday, let me start with that before we get into what I really wanted to talk about yesterday. I went to my daughter's school that uh, that decided in the evening of last Friday to take away the right for students to choose if they should wear a mask, not wear a mask, you know. And I sent them a letter saying, "You're either going to undo this, or I'm filing a complaint." I, uh, obviously they didn't do it on Monday, but they know my daughter will never wear a mask. Are they going to arrest her? No. Can they kick her out? No. So she's just not wearing a mask. And every time another kid is wearing a mask, she'll say, why are you wearing it? Do you believe that you're going to get sick? Then wear it. If you feel comfortable, then wear it. If you're wearing it because they're telling you to, you're dumb. You have the right to choose. And I think it's very important. I um, met a lot of the parents yesterday, very vocal. And for some reason, a lot of them seem to give credence to the power that that board had or exercised or pretends to have, let's say. All of them dinosaurs. Uh, one of them was sleeping as his mask was falling off. He'd wake up and I had so many things to say, <sighs> but as we were conducting these hearings, right, where people were saying their piece, the maskers demanded more masks. They sounded terrified too. They were extremely scared. And I thought, if you're that scared, stay home. If you're scared, I don't see why you should impose it on everyone else. Everyone had five minutes. Well, because the time ran longer, because there were so many people that wanted to speak, 
After all, for some reason, these people that took an oath decided that because of COVID, because of COVID, people are not allowed to comment. That's against the constitution. Hmm. So everyone had a lot to say. Everyone. So when we walk into this, uh, the cafeteria, they had chairs spread out to be social distancing. And I met a couple people that are in the Ohio group that are in Cleveland. There was like five, six of us, right? Uh, less than 10 for sure. And I was like, why are we social distancing? Bring the chairs. Let's sit next to each other. We're not going to listen to them. What are they going to do? Tell us we have to social distance? Get out of here. And we didn't. The room was actually packed. There were people standing in the back. A lot of people were observing social distancing. I don't know why, right? Everyone was social distancing in the chair, but the mask wearers were standing next to each other, shoulder to shoulder. It made zero sense, zero sense. And this is, this is what we are battling, a lack of common sense, right? A lack of common sense. I take a draw from my cigarette and I'm wearing a mask, right? and I blow it out, the smoke comes out. Smoke particle is way larger than a virus, but it's gonna protect me from a virus, of course. Now, as uh, the time was lapsing for them, they, they said, how many more do we have? And they were like, yeah, we have Well, you know, for the ones that came after seven, I was like, whoa, I know he's talking about me. I was there way before seven. And the problem was, is I didn't know that I had to turn in the document with my name and what I wanted to talk about, right? Because they want to keep record of that shit. So I, as they were talking, I was like, I'm, I'm seeing them flip a paper and I'm like, crap. I tell my neighbor, crap, they have that paper. No one took it from me. I filled it out. No one took it. So my friend quickly ran. It was like, Kimmy, I'm closer, ran over, gave it to the lady. So they were talking about me and they were like, yeah, so we're not going to have you people that gave your stuff after seven. I was like, I stood up in the middle of everything, completely out of turn. And I said, nope, I was here before the Pledge of Allegiance while you guys were still getting situated and you will hear me. And then I sat down. So I was upset. So that was a big problem for me because the person that looked at me was a guy that... <laughs> You know, I called the FBI and filed a complaint, too, uh, from the stuff, you know, that, you, that you'll hear about, too. But what I can tell you is I had a ton of facts. People were giving information, talking about why masks are bad, giving science. And it's like, guys, I was thinking to myself, they don't give a shit about science. Like, I could science them all they want. So I thought I'll use science just to tell them that all their teachers are super spreaders, right? And then throw a little bit of, no, my daughter is not, I'm asserting my, but I didn't do any of that. Well, I did the super spreader part. I mean, I couldn't, <laughs> I mean, come on, who's not going to do that? Because then all the mask people are going to listen about that study and they're going to run home and they're going to look it up and they're going to be like, shit, um, it's over. We can't see our friends, even if we were vaccinated, because we've got 251 times more load. So I was like, yeah, let me just give it to them. For all the mask wearers and the vaccines are safe. Keep me safe. And it's like, yeah, you're 250 times more infectious to actually give the virus this time. But anyway, um, 
So I was last. I was like, great, I'm last. The girl that's going to sue them, great. So when I got up there, as I play the video, I'll pause it just to the point where I had a train of thought. Um, and I thought, all right, you know what? I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to talk. Because the more I think and I look for shit, I'm, I'm going to not be able to speak. Um, and I'm just going to let it go. And I'm just going to spank, spank them. Because I felt like every single time someone talked, I felt the sense that they felt defeated, even though they were talking, right? Even though people were supporting them, I felt that they felt defeated because it was more of a, a nicer approach to the people that were fragile and were scared to death of being there and were wearing 150 masks, you know? So I'm going to play that clip. It's okay. I'm just going to say, I was really pissed because I had no scrunchie and all I had was this stupid beret that was like, my bun had fallen out. It's a hot mess. But it's okay. Let me play that for you because I'd love to share it with you, regardless of what a hot mess I was and how much I failed into delivering the message, but I succeeded in making the people see that there are people that are not afraid to call them to the carpet. I mean, there was one guy there who was like, hey, you're the new superintendent. You had the football team at your other school bend the knee to a Black Lives Matter anthem you know, where are my footballers at? He was saying it in a nice way. And I was like, why are you being nice? Just fucking say it. Here, here, here's how it went. Okay, can you guys hear me? Um, my name is Tori Maris. I'm a parent of a student here. Um, I'm gonna see everyone that has spoken to you today has spoken to you as if you have some form of authority to do things, uh, which you don't. It's arbitrary power, what you're exercising. And I can say that I saw that when my daughter started school and I got my first email, my first one. Do you know what it was? We're having a meeting, but we're turning off comments because of COVID. So I responded and said, can you tell me how you can catch COVID through the internet? No one responded. And I never got an email through that email address again from any one of you. But that was okay, I was busy. I was in Washington DC working so I couldn't really dabble in it. I thought I'd just wait. Well, everyone's been giving you science, and I want to give science too, before I tell you other things. Like science, like masks. Like there's like tons of pictures of you guys at like parties just a couple days ago, no masks. Yeah, so <laughs> straight out the gate, told them off. Uh, no cameras were allowed in there none were allowed you had to apply in advance just so you guys know or else i would have been live streaming it i'm just saying um so the person that actually took this video did it from you know an obscure corner because you know they weren't allowed so yeah out of the gate i was like you guys suck you have no power shut up and okay we need to talk science let's talk math but first here's some nice pictures of you just a couple of days ago look all of you together with no masks because now they're going to be wearing masks everywhere supermarket restaurants everywhere because they know we're watching now let me continue that let me try that again I'm really dabbling it i thought i'll just wait well everyone's been giving you science and i want to give science too before i tell you like science, like masks. That there's like tons of pictures of you guys at like parties just a couple days ago. No masks. Okay. 
to the principal of the high school a letter that I emailed all of you Saturday morning. That I put you on notice that I'm suing you. Principal said I'm running a school of the board. We come to the board. Guess what, guys? I'll tell you what. Okay, so at that point, I kid you not, I was like completely lost. I was like, wait, I need to give them facts. And I was like, no, wait, I need to educate them. Oh, wait, people need to see that this has happened before. So this is where I brain fart and I'm like, I'll tell you what, and I pause. Let's go back in history. Mass mandates already happened. Four feet apart then, now it's six feet, right? They enforced them so hard that they even shot someone to death in San Francisco for not wearing a mask. Do you remember that history? You should peruse the Library of Congress. You'd be surprised what you'll find. And what happened was one person took a picture of people like you that put out the <coughs> mandate, partying by a boxing mat, no masks. Guess what happened then? Yeah, exactly what I saw on Monday when I came to the school board. Lady greeted me at the door, no mask. Next lady, assistant to the superintendent, no mask. And the assistant superintendent, no mask. Huh. Rules for thee, but not for me, right? So, speaking of science, just want to say, you know, your teachers are probably super spreaders. I don't know if you guys read some rag called the Lancet Journal, you know, the Bible for doctors. Came out with a nice, nice article, research from Oxford. Real science, Lancet Journal. A study by the Oxford University Clinical Research Group published August 10th in The Lancet. Fully vaccinated people carry 251 times the viral load. The study focused on healthcare workers who were unable to leave the hospital for two weeks. The study showed that fully vaccinated workers about two months after injection carried and transmitted the virus to their vaccinated colleagues. They also passed the virus to unvaccinated people, including their patient sites. Yeah, okay. So this was mean-spirited because I did it just to trigger all the scared mask wearers who think they're immune because they got the mask and because they think the, that the vaccine is going to protect them. Because this will make them think, wait a minute, that's the Lancet Journal. That's like the Bible. I need to call my cousin who's a CMO or I need to call this person and my friend. So that way, um, oh my gosh. We're super spreaders. I did that on purpose. This is science. I don't know where you're getting your science. Because, you know, I have a transcript of the superintendent, who, by the way, doesn't live here, has two years to move back, right? So, prerequisite to be a superintendent, you got to live in the area. This guy got the job offer in 2020, still doesn't live in the area. Had to say that. But what I'm pulling out now is a transcript from his lame-ass video where he turned off the comments on YouTube Quoting his science. Totally against the bylaws, but you know, exceptions, right? So um, we see here, um, we transcribed your video that you turned off comments on. Pre-K to five, CDC study says. Um, actually, I got that CDC study right here. You know what it says? Masks for children that are that young are detrimental and have zero efficacy. Oh, so I want to know what CDC study you pointed to, because I got it right here if you want it. Uh, passing, ooh, young, can't be unvaccinated, get the opportunity. Really? Pfizer didn't approve any vaccine. That was actually approving the same vaccine under a different name to conduct a different study under the same UAE. But fake news, you know? Kind of like real news. Like, who's uh, for Naro? 
for the Ohio lottery. So funny. The lottery winner for a child getting a vaccine, so brave, right? Was one from this school. I don't know. Kind of sounds like a conflict of interest right there. We've got tons. I've got tons of evidence right here. IRS forms, CRT stuff, BLM, do the parents know that Mayfield High School funded a CCW event? I mean, I don't know. Open societies, anyone? Because that's what's up. George Soros, everywhere. What you're seeing here is righteous indignation. Do you know what that means? Illegally, does that mean I have the right to be angry because it's reactive anger to maltreatment. So, guys, Mayfield Parents Union at gmail.com. I'm not gonna ask you to do it. I'm gonna remove each and every one of you by law because I will find you guilty of misconduct because I actually have a national specialist who was in Iraq and other places that talked about masks. Those are the real specialists. Environmental toxicologists. And all of you are being removed. Bye, y'all. I drove six hours for that. She's so cute. She drove six hours for that. No. Uh, and I felt like I let her down, but the people wanted that. Um, people wanted a little bit of a smackdown of someone not being scared to call it out. But if you guys noticed, what I did do is call out um, a guy named Fernaro. I actually called the governor's office. I want to play this audio, but I have to be very careful because I do give private identifying information. So I'm going to be on top of it to stop it as it plays, okay? So I want you guys to listen to this because I called the governor's office today because that's where I was directed to go to, to call the governor's office. So I want to play that for you so you can hear it because um, it's it quite interesting because I think he did ask for my phone number. I'm pretty sure it's there. So I'm gonna, when he asks, I'm going to mute it. Give me a second. Let me get that for you. One second. It was it was actually quite a fun phone call. I was kind of demanding that I speak to someone now. They haven't called me yet, but you know, after that phone call, um, they took down their website, the Vaximilian website. So here we go. Oh wait, it's not gonna play there because this is muted. So let me give me a second. And it it'll do it like that. Okay, here we go. It was, you know what? I don't have to do it like that. I could do it like this. Give me a sec. I use my phone, which is better. Cause that's where I recorded it. All right, you guys ready? This this is um quite interesting. Here we go. My name is Dustin. Can I get your name, please? Hi, Dustin. I'm a constituent. My name is Tori Maris. Hi, how can I help you today? Um, I would like to speak to someone in regards to your Vaximillions campaign that you enacted uh, for minors between the ages of 12 and 17. Okay, I can try to help you with that. Fantastic. I'd like to know, uh, how is it that uh, the winner of this 
Vaximilian campaign came from Mayfield School District. Do you know how that was done? No, like, I mean, it was a random draw. Okay, so did you know that randomly you drew a child from the school district where the a member of the school board of the Mayfield School District is a product manager of all your lottery things in Ohio Lottery? Did you also know that the Mayfield School Board District that the child supposedly won this lottery from has a foundation that is also backed by Pfizer, just like Governor DeWine? Okay. Can you please tell me how you randomly selected the name? Um, I, I mean, I cannot. I don't, I don't know the exact process. I wasn't involved oh, in that. Who would know the exact process? I would really like to speak to them. So should I call the guy who actually ran the lottery that sits on the school board of where the student won? I mean, is that guy the head of the lottery or who exactly is he? He's he's the product manager. Every time the local news want to talk about lottery products, they contact him. His name is Mr. Fornaro. Will you spell that for me? F-O-R-N-A-R-O, if I'm not mistaken. I should file a police complaint for an investigation because this seems a little bit, uh, it's very concerning, the odds of that child from that district who happens to me in med tech through a program of that district that is funded by a Pfizer at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, which is from the school district of the guy that actually runs the products for lotteries, that also has a foundation, the school, that is indirectly funded by Pfizer, wins. It sounds like a misuse of federal and state funds to promote a pharmaceutical company, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, this is how it seems. I'd like to speak to the person that actually randomized the draw. And considering that I'm an amateur cryptologist, I'd love to see your randomization codes on the selection. Um, So how can I file a formal request to receive all documentation of the processes used to randomly select that person, which statistically would be as frequent as you getting struck by lightning twice in your lifetime in the same location in an ocean while being attacked by a shark. I mean, that, that data would all be at the Ohio Lottery Commission. All right. So there's a representative since the governor's office ran this that that you must put me in contact with to afford me that transparency. Sure. So I can give you the number. And if you would like to give me your phone number, I can also pass it along within our office for you. Yeah, as well because it seems like there's some criminal conspiracy. Please, may I have that telephone number within the office of the governor that can direct me on how I can apply for an open records request to receive this information? Sure. So I can give you the number to the Customer Service Center for the Ohio Lottery Commission. Okay, stop right there. I did not ask for that information. I asked you to provide me the information of the person that actually was responsible for the alleged random selection of that student. I do not know who that was at the Ohio Lottery So here's what I'd like then. I would like you to put me in contact 
with the actual liaison within the governor's office that interacted with the Ohio lottery. Okay, what is your phone number then? Name of the person who is uh, uh, who, who works in the governor's office that is the liaison and ran point of this campaign he launched communicating with the Ohio lottery. I can wait. Okay, I mean, I'm not able to do it at this moment. I'm on the phone taking phone calls, but I can definitely pass your, your message on. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You must have misunderstood me. I'm sorry. How's this? Because I don't want to speak to someone that filters calls, and obviously you don't have any answers for anything from what it seems. May I have an email address where I can direct my requests? Yes, absolutely. I can give you that. Your email address? Yes, that is correct, ma'am. Um, Dustin, but you're not qualified to answer my questions. Why would I email you? Because I'm going to figure out who can answer your questions, ma'am, and get back with you. Excuse me? I, I, just, I just explained to you, I don't know who your computer contact person is for that. How do you not know? Good Day America was all over it. It was a nationwide thing. You don't know which guy you pat on the back within your office? Are you serious? Please listen to me. I don't have hands ready. Okay, ma'am. I, I do not know who would be that person in our office. I have to so look at that email you. Out for you. Okay, Dustin. What is your email? At governor. Dot Ohio. Dot gov. And I will figure out who that is that can answer those and questions. And what is your position there? I'm a constituent aide. Oh, you're an aide. So that's what your constituents get, a constituent aid to speak to in a matter that, from what it looks like on the surface, seems to be a criminal matter. I mean, again, ma'am, you just got into the main line here, and I'm one of the guys who answers the phone. I, I mean, know, and that's why I asked you. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm sorry you, you got stuck with me, but I, I will okay. do my best to get you some answers. Excuse me. You're the first line I've constantly requested that you put me in contact with the person that would know. And then you refuse to do that because you don't know. And so you directed me to send you an email where you still don't know so that someone who you don't know may be getting back to me. I'm just reiterating the summary of this conversation. So once again, put me in someone, put me through to someone that can answer my question. I have to figure out who that is, ma'am. I truly do not know. Okay. I don't know how else to say that. How's I not speak to a constituent aide, but actually speak to the constituent services representative? I'm sorry, say that again? Why don't you put me through to your supervisor? I mean, he's not in right now. Um, isn't it 1 p.m.? Is he out to lunch? No, he, he's just not in the office at this moment, ma'am. Oh, um, okay. Uh, what is your supervisor's name? It is Michael Murray. Michael Murray. So Michael Murray is not working today. He, I said he's not in the office at the moment, Okay, is he out of the office on work-related issues, private? I mean, he is getting paid with our tax dollars. And if he's not there and you have a question, there must be someone more superior to him. May I speak to that person, please? I truly do not have anybody to send you to. I'm sorry. 
So if you had a problem, you wouldn't have anybody to speak to? I do not have anybody to transfer you to right now, ma'am. Again, I am happy to look into this and try to figure out how it is that can get you these answers, but I don't have anybody to transfer you to at this moment. You don't? I do not. Now, I, I know you said your, your first name was Tori. Would you mind giving me your last name again, please? I'm just saying 24 hours, a, you know, three days, a week, a month, maybe a year, anything. It should be. I, I don't know, ma'am. I'm going to look into it, see what I can do for you. Um, it should not be more than a day. should not be more than a day. I appreciate you. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay, obviously I can be a real ball buster. And I was trying to get information um, while trying to see if he would crack at some point. This is how you ask questions. Um, as you notice, he didn't slip up when I said, oh, you know, they're funded by Pfizer, just like Governor DeWine. He was like, mm. he didn't say yes. He wanted to, though, so bad. That would have been awesome. But <clears throat> that actually happened. One person in the whole state of Ohio between the ages of 12 and 17 was selected. And that one person came from the school district, Mayfield <laughs> High School, right? Where the guy who's sitting on the board <laughs> is the Ohio lottery products guy. Like, stop, stop. And all the programs they have are funded by Pfizer. Stop, wait, let me tell you something. I think I was talking about this on air right? Last January, where I was like, damn, I got to find a place to rent because I need my kid to be at a better school because they're not going to let them go face to face. And there were a shit ton of schools and areas that I went to. And everywhere I went to, even cheaper on rent too. I was like, I don't care. I just need to go, right? You know, they'd say, well, you know, you can't have two leases. And it's like, mind your business. Let's pretend it's a lake house. Can we get it moving, please? All right. Um, I couldn't freaking find a place like they wouldn't rent me a place because they want to be all up in my butt. So I did find that school and it looked incredible. Right. I was like, yeah, I, I like it. You know, let's go. And then that's because I found an apartment there, too. Like I couldn't. If you got and out of all the damn schools, all of them, all of them. My, my selection, my selection was the one that has Soros involved, Cleveland Clinic, Bill Gates. Wait a minute. We just found this out. Google right? <laughs> and Pfizer. I mean, what? Come on. You can't even make this stuff up. I'm dead serious. Like, I think that school chose me. That was the weirdest thing. We were going through their financials. Like $668 million for less than, for like 4,238 students. Are you kidding me? 
Are you kidding me? Like we're in the wrong business, you guys. Wrong business. As superintendent, fifth highest salary as a superintendent in all of Ohio. Uh, uh, what? Like, how does that even happen? And no one says, everyone's like, yeah, we're totally cool with it. We're still plowing through all the, the financials. Man. So, so now, here's how it's going. I'm filing a complaint in a temporary restraining order, as you guys saw, in uh, North Allegheny County in Pennsylvania. The parents got a temporary restraining order on the mask mandate, and immediately the school board reversed it. <laughs> so I'm so glad that people are paying attention. I actually gave it a bit because, you know, school had already started. Let's wait for the school board meeting. I was like, yeah, we'll get it done. Maybe they'll shit their pants. They didn't. They really didn't care. They were telling us how much of love they are and stuff. That Fornaro guy, just so you know, I wasn't even going to bring up that lottery stuff during the meeting. But that's the guy that looked at me when I stood up like, bitch, sit down. You're a peasant. I say what goes. Still voted for me to talk. But because he did it, I wanted all the parents to hear it. And so I'm going to keep saying it. No one thought that's like a weird coincidence. Like, look at this. The, the possibilities out of all of them, that person did stop. So I guess that damn school chose me <laughs> and I'm glad it did. I saw some really amazing people, um, really amazing parents. And there were people there that didn't have kids in school anymore, but lived around the corner. And they were upset because they're all into the, the football and, you know, loving the place. The grandmas were out there. There was this really hot 62-year-old lady that stood up. And she was like, yeah, you know, I got the China virus, but I ain't scared. I'm still out partying hard. I'm like, you go, girl. Um, so <laughs> really good people. But I'm just like, I'm devastated. Devastated. But, you know, my 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 little girl, she's she's gotten the heat of it from, you know, the really liberal, I'm terrified to go out teachers. It's like, if you're so scared, stop going to school, just stay home. Like if they're so scared, why don't they stay home? How does it even make sense? Stay home, stay home. If you're scared, you're going to die, stay home. And because they believe that this disease is so bad, Call them out on it. I'm just too scared to come to work. I'm worried about getting coronavirus. And then it's like the employer is going to be like, I don't care what you say. You're coming. In. But I thought you said it was scary. And then I'm going to die. Now I'm not going to die. Which one is it? Like, <laughs> I really want to see, lib you know, those people that are masking. Like, if they could mask their eyeballs, they would. Right? Those people, I would love to see them say, Oh my gosh, I'm like too scared to go, even with masks, because everyone's getting sick. And it's like, I'm going to stay home. They're going to be like, no, you don't have a choice. It's not that deadly. But you told me it was deadly, and you had us all vaccinate and wear 100 masks. Yeah, it's not that deadly now, because we said so. So now common sense kicks in. I'm just saying, if that happened, that'd be fun. So the only virus that is there is the one they're actually injecting into people right now. There wasn't one to begin with. It was all a freaking pandemic, right? We know that. I know a lot of people want to get into Afghanistan. And I thought rather than 
delve into it because I, I know what's going on there. Um, some is what you're seeing. Some is not. Some is, you know, you're seeing the Titans fight, guys. I told you you were going to see this. You're seeing it now. Take a step back. It all makes sense. It all makes sense. I wanted you guys to listen to what Biden said today. Not very convincing at all. Like, not even if you were like 10 beers in convincing. Like, not even if you were 10 beers in, 20 blunts, maybe a couple lines of Coke, and a little bit of, uh, you know, LSD. Still not convincing. I want you guys to listen to this. The watching part of it is really hard. He looks like he's gotten like, like a million Instagram filters. Take a listen. This evening in Kabul, as you all know, terrorists attacked that we've been talking about and worried about that the intelligence community has assessed, uh, has undertaken <clears throat> an attack by a group known as ISIS-K, <clears throat> took the lives of American service members standing. Wait a minute, what? ISIS-K? So wait a minute. It was ISIS. Obama called it ISIL. Now this is ISIS-K. Are we having like variants of fucking Talibans and uh, terrorists? Like I'm confused. So is this like a variant of terrorism? Okay. I, where do they come up with these names? Or is it ISIS of Kabul? I mean, I, I, there's a variant. Okay. A variant. Okay. I mean, we're on variant. We had Delta, Epsilon, Lambda's coming up. <laughs> you know, whatever. So now we got variants and terrorists. Let's go. Guard at the airport wounded several others seriously. He had also wounded a number of civilians and civilians were killed as well. I've been engaged all day in constant contact with the military commanders here in Washington, the Pentagon, as well as in Afghanistan and uh, Doha. And uh, my commanders here in Washington. Did you hear that? Let me explain that to you. I've been in kind of engagement with blah, 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 Afghanistan and Doha. Cutter. Oh, maybe you should go back and listen to my Qatar, Qatar, Doha Taliban conversations. Maybe that'll make sense. Washington in the field have been on this with great detail and you've had a chance to speak to some so far. The situation on the ground is still evolving. And I'm constantly being updated. <clears throat> These American service members who gave their lives. It's an overused word, but it's totally appropriate here. We're heroes. Heroes who have been engaged in a dangerous, selfless mission to save the lives of others. They're a part of an airlift, an evacuation effort unlike any scene in history with more than 100,000 American citizens, American partners, Afghans who helped us, and others taken to safety in the last 11 days. 
Just the last 12 hours or so, another 7,000 have gotten out. They were part of the bravest, most capable, the most selfless military on the face of the earth. And they're part of simply what I call the backbone of America. They're the spine of America, the best the country has to offer. Jill and I, our hearts ache, like I'm sure all of you do as well, for all those Afghan families who lost loved ones, including small children, or been wounded in this vicious attack. And we're outraged as well as heartbroken. <clears throat> Being the father of an Army major who served for a year in Iraq and before that was in Kosovo as a U.S. attorney for the better part of six months in the middle of a war. When he came home after a year in, a, in Iraq, he was diagnosed, like many, many coming home, with an aggressive and lethal cancer of the brain. We lost. We have some sense, like many of you do, what the families of these brave heroes are feeling today. You get this feeling like you're being sucked into a black hole in the middle of your chest. There's no way out. My heart aches for you. But I know this. Is that Hunter? We have a continuing obligation, <clears throat> a sacred obligation to all of you, families of those heroes. That obligation is not temporary. It lasts forever. The lives we lost today were lives given in the service of liberty, the service of security, and the service of others, in the service of America. Like their fellow brothers and sisters in arms who died defending our vision and our values in the struggle against terrorism, of the fall on this day, they're part of a great and noble company of American heroes. To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this, we will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about forgiving and forgetting for a second, right? Because let's talk about forgiving and forgetting. Because 20 years later, we got an admission for something that I've been saying going blue in the face. Blue in the face today to NBC. Did you guys hear it? Well, I just shared it on my Telegram, and now I want to share it with every single one of you. Where they're told 20 years later, a war that was supposed to be, have started because of who? Osama bin Laden? Osama was never there. How do you feel about that? How do you feel? Tonight, I met Zabi Holam Mujahid. Wait, 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 wait. Let, me, let, me, let me show you the video, too, because you got to see it. How many times have I said it? You saw your Jack Posobiec and all these losers. None of them told you the truth. None of them told you the truth. How do you feel? All the secrets are coming out this summer and it ends by the first day of fall. You cannot hide 
everything will be revealed. Tonight, I met Zabi Hullam Mujahid, the Taliban spokesman. The United States is evacuating, and it is taking out Americans who worked with U.S. forces. But not everyone is going to be able to make it out. Will you let those people leave in the future? Can you guarantee their safety? We don't want our countrymen to go to America. Whatever they have done in the past, we have given them amnesty. We need young, educated professionals for our nation. But if they want to leave, it's their choice. What would you say to women, Afghan women, who are terrified? They are our sisters. We must show them respect. They should not be frightened. The Taliban are humans and from this country. They have fought for their country. Women should be proud of us, not scared. There are already reports of Taliban fighters taking young women, unmarried women, as brides, forced brides. There have been reports of people going into homes. This is propaganda from the old regime. We have no evidence of a single case. This war started when Osama bin Laden, as a guest of the Taliban, organized 9-11 attacks. Can you guarantee that this country will never again be a base for terrorism? When Osama bin Laden became an issue for the Americans, he was in Afghanistan. Although there was no proof he was involved, now we have given promises that Afghan soil won't be used against anyone. You still don't think that Osama bin Laden carried out 9-11? There is no evidence. Even after 20 years of war, we have no proof he was involved. So it sounds like, even now, after all of this, you're accepting no responsibility. There was no justification for this war. It was excuse for war. How are you feeling right now, after 20 years, and the Americans are leaving. The withdrawal is almost finished. These are our happiest moments. Richard, did this spokesman talk about what the future relationship could look like between the U.S. and the Taliban? He did. He said he wants to open a new chapter of relations with the United States, with the Taliban exchanging diplomats and even opening embassies. So the eye roll told you everything. The Taliban, who did I tell you they were? If you look it up on torysaid.com, 2018, 2019, 2020, every fucking time I talked about the Taliban, what did I tell you? They were a political party. They were actually conservative. They are a political party. And this is why they were negotiating to create their party in Qatar. Guess who wanted to do it in Qatar? The, the, the actual Arabs wanted to facilitate. And I said, no, they should be staying there. Why are they going to Qatar? Because they're weaponizing them. They're using the old Taliban. Like he said, old guard. We don't do that. That's propaganda. Old guard. You need to be paying attention because everything is coming forward. There is nothing that will be hidden. This is how it is. You pull the veil. You know, summer is about sunshine. Summer is all about sunshine. And there's a lot of sun being shown in a lot of places. It is now that people are starting to see, to see the truth. By the time this season ends, boy, and I'm not saying the Taliban are good guys. Don't get me wrong. I don't vouch for anyone. But I, what I can tell you is, is they're looking after their own country. They know how much power their own country has. And they want to negotiate on their terms. 
And we got in there just like he said. That was an excuse. I would have loved him to say, you know, you guys did it. Obviously, thank goodness he didn't. Because when that comes out, boy, oh boy. This is how he goes out. By still covering. By still throwing cover. They have nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. And you know, some of these generals that were fighting the wars had no idea that was going on. Because it was all people like me. All the contractors knew. CIA knew. Right? Generals never knew. I think actually, oh my gosh, ding, ding, light bulb. It was a couple weeks ago. Didn't General Flynn share his like, you know, report where he said the CIA would not share intelligence and that they wouldn't tell us because they would be like, oh, it's chatter. We don't need to give you stuff. You know, yeah, the PSCs knew, Bergie knew, I knew. Certain members of the agency knew. NSA could have known too, collecting little nuggets to park them somewhere for the people when they have big mouths, I don't know, like mine, to start talking, little shit's going to be coming out, right? This summer, the sun has been shining everywhere. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. And... You know, I say this and I lose my mind every single time because there are so many people right now, people that I love, that I care for, people that I know my children love and care for that have taken this vaccine, infecting themselves with God knows what, producing viral loads, spreading it around, and they don't know how it's going to turn out. We're now seeing that people that have, uh, I think it's the NHS study in England, are showing the people that have taken both doses of vaccine died at a 45% higher rate than others didn't, that only got one. You know, it's like HIV. You can't stop taking it now. Could you imagine being, you know, a parent that gave their children, actually put their kids in that experiment early on this year, fully knowing it was an experiment because they wanted to do the right thing. Because they wanted to keep people safe. Knowing that their kid may not be alive. Or their kid may never be able to have kids. Or their kid may have some other defect. Because they didn't do their homework. Because they listened to the media and the government. My daughter was struggling. Because, you know, a friend of hers uh, went and got the second shot. And... You know, I tried to comfort her saying, you know, God never hurts children. And sometimes when, when things go wrong, you know, they're, they're protected in a sense, right? And we have to believe that. In the end, it's the parents that will bear the burden. And my heart breaks for each and every one of them as a parent. Not because all oh, their kids are going to die or all of them are going to be infertile. Some may actually have gotten the placebo. It was an experiment, right? They were paying money. Some did it for a free donut. How lame is that? That's how much their life costs, a donut? When I saw that, I was thinking, wow, the world, it's just bitter. 
It's filled with sin. We're all sinners, you know, but we must have some consideration for sinfulness and being evil per se. But you have to think, do you not think that God, whoever that may be, is looking down on you and sees how sinful you are and how much you lack gratitude and how you don't seek him in truth? Of course he does. He sees everything. But when someone sees everything and sees that ugly side of you and you're still here, alive and kicking, smiling, cooking, safe, it's because he has mercy on us every single day. Now, people, good and bad, they all have plans. All of them do. But God also has plans. As you can see, and it will unfold, these titans that you see at war, old guard, new guard, this is why I said it's important to watch um, American gods, not because of the really hot, you know, protagonists, super hot, right? Okay, let's just get that over and done with. But it shows you old gods versus new gods. And if you look at it from a perspective of applying it to society, it's how we are today, it'll make sense. This is the war that you are watching. And in the end, their fighting will come to such a deadlock, which it's about to peak right now, that they will have to stop fighting and find a truce. And while they're finding a truce, we break free and say, uh, no, it's not about you. It's not about what you tell us. It was always about control. You have to remember, it is one group of people that are discussing God. And it's not, oh, the Catholics, the Lutherans of this. A group of people, so many, are flocking back. There's one group of people in our nation that discuss darkness and evil. One group of people in our nation that is promoting everything and everything about God. Huh. And one group of people that eliminate God from the equation all in all. I've said this so many times before. Symbolism will be their downfall. Everything they do is done in whatever evil and deceptive honor they have. And keep that in mind as you listen to this. I will defend our interests and our people with every measure at my command. Over the past few weeks, <clears throat> I know you're many of you are probably tired of hearing me say it. We've been made aware by our intelligence community that the ISIS-K, an arch enemy, the Taliban, people who were freed when both those prisons were opened, has been planning a complex set of attacks on the United States personnel and others. This is why, from the outset, I repeatedly said this mission was extraordinarily dangerous and on why I've been so determined to limit the duration of this mission. As General McKenzie said, this is why our mission was designed, this is the way it was designed to operate. Operate under severe stress and attack. We've known that from the beginning. 
as I've been in constant contact with our senior military leaders, and I mean constant, round the clock, and our commanders on the ground and throughout the day, they made it clear that we can and we must complete this mission, and we will. I'm going to tell you something about that mission. ISIS-K, the variant terrorists, variant terrorists, right? What if they were the same as those variant terrorists that were in Benghazi, bought and paid for by the Obama regime? When the generals see that the version of Taliban that are attacking our own people are not the new guard that you saw, it's the old guard, right? It's the variant that they're being pushed toward our own people. What do you think is going to happen? What's that the mutiny? Can you smell it? I could smell it. When have you ever seen? When was the last time you actually saw someone from the Democrat Party, I mean, the Republicans, they pretend all the time. But when have you ever seen them patriotic? I mean, here it is. This is supposedly the president talking about this with no one behind him. If President Trump was talking about war and death, he would have had his Joint Chief of Staff behind him, his Secretary of State behind him. He would have had somebody behind him. Nobody was with this clown. No national pride, no love of country, just revenge. Because as high as you go, you can't tie your shoe and you want to win a war. Get out of here. Did he speak like that when people were dying across America? No, because it benefited him. Did he speak like that when BLM was setting shit on fire and shooting people because they were oppressed and they needed Chanel bread? No, this is his pride. One group of people discuss dark and evil things. One group of people eliminate God from the equation and pretend they are. And this is it. Is he calling for unity? He's calling for pity. I mean, he pulled the pity card with his son, didn't he? It's over. It is over. His press secretary is even uh, Freudian slipping, right? It was a misspeak, but it's gone. It's over. It's over for all of them. It's completely over. She says, we don't trust the Taliban. Which one? Because there's variants, apparently. Answer additional questions from all of you. Just one thing to note at the top, as a mark for respect starting today, the United States flag will be flown at half staff at the White House and upon all public buildings and grounds, at all military posts and naval stations, and on all naval vessels of the federal government in the District of Columbia and throughout the United States and its territories, and possessions until sunset on April, August 30th, excuse me, 2021, in honor of the victims of the senseless acts of violence in Kabul, Afghanistan. With that, Amr. Thanks. Um, just a few minutes ago, one of my colleagues asked a question 
about what the president would say to Afghans who fear uh, they won't get to leave. Um, was the president, if the president said getting every single person out can't be guaranteed of anyone, was he lowering expectations for smaller but still significant population that's trying to get out that's still there? That wasn't his intention, Amr. I think what he was conveying is that at a time where the Taliban is uh, taking over the country, uh, certainly not our preference, as you all know well, uh, it is not going to be possible for every single Afghan, millions potentially, who want to leave Afghanistan to be evacuated. At the same time, uh, I think you also heard the president make clear uh, that there is not a dead, there is not an end to our commitment to getting American citizens out uh, who don't want, who are not ready to leave, uh, and to getting partners out and those who have served alongside the United States over the last 20 years. Real quick, on the Taliban, um, they are in charge of the perimeter. Um, for the suicide bombers to get in, they would presumably have to get beyond the Taliban guard. So why isn't the Taliban in part responsible for what happened today? Well, I think General McKenzie addressed this earlier this afternoon, uh, and he made clear, and I understand your question is slightly different from that, but I think it's worth repeating and important to repeat, that we don't have any uh, information at this point in time, and that has not changed over the last couple of hours to suggest the Taliban had knowledge of or was engaged in or involved in this attack. Uh, obviously, what happened today uh, and the loss of lives of U.S. service members of Afghans is a tragedy, is horrific, uh, is one of the worst things, if not the worst thing we've experienced during President Biden's time in office. Uh, but again, we don't have any additional assessment at this point in time. Go ahead. Uh, just a few things, Jen, to clarify. Thank you. Um, he talked about the ongoing mission to get people out after the 31st. But yes. To be clear, as of tonight, is it still the plan to get all U.S. forces out by August 31st? Nothing has changed on that timeline. Okay. Um, did the president, based on his public comments over the last few days, mm -hmm. did the president see this coming? Well, I think what you have seen the president say and, and many members of our military and our national security team say is that we have been closely watching and assessing the threat of ISIS-K and that we have had increasing concern about that threat growing over the last couple of days. Uh, so this has been a concern uh, that we have been watching uh, and we saw, of course, the tragic events happen today. And does what does today's attack say about the U.S.'s ability to keep the terrorist threat in check once the U.S. pulls off military forces out of Afghanistan? Because this is something he talked about in early yes. July when he reiterated what the plan was. You're right. And I How does it look, guys? How does it look? What is it? It's the eighth month of the year. He's been in office just eight months, right? And look at what he's done. He's undone the economy. He's caused civil unrest by forcing mandations. He's exposed the FDA, the drug companies, who really runs the world. He's destroyed any facade that they had. Because when you have an ego and you stand tall, your pants will be pulled at the moment that you think, ha, it's all done. Again, he is single Handedly destroying America. Your gas is up. Your medications. You can't even trust your pharmacist right now. You can't do anything. You have losers sitting on school boards that are telling you, put a muzzle on your kid. 
vaccinated. We don't care if you don't know what it is. We don't care if it's an experiment. You're going to do it because we said so. And they sit there in, with their pretentious. I warn you. What is going to happen in the Bronx, in Manhattan, in New Jersey is not going to be pretty. The atrocities that are going to happen in the Pacific Northwest, not pretty. They are desperate. They have plans. They wanted it to do it by the 31st. It didn't happen. Not then. Oh. You know, we need to shift gears because I want us to talk about disease, weapons of disease that are to come, those that you can see and those that you can unsee. But at least the one thing I can do is show you so that you can recognize it and you can see it when it comes around. I just want you guys to have faith. What we need right now more than ever is exactly what we're doing. The nail in all of their coffins is already in. They're being undone at the scenes. They can't even defend themselves. Anyone that is connected to them is like nuclear material. Toxic. Right now, you are only as strong as your voice. We must work together. You must organize and be heard. This is why they keep us divided and in the dark and all sitting there weak. Look at us, Mr. Big Bad School Board. Dude, shut up. Cleveland, you want to see how we're going to take over Ohio? I'll tell you how. Cleveland's having elections, primaries for mayors and shit like that. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. The minute they're elected, they're being removed, all of them. So now they've just delayed it to November. Right. We're going to let them get elected and then we're going to remove them, remove every single one of them because the election is a fraud. Any election conducted this year, fraud. I don't care what you say, fraud. You must organize. You must be heard. Do not let them tell you it cannot be done. We have moved mountains. Empowering people. Telling them we are watching. They know. We're supposed to be uniting. And we're supposed to be pushing truth. Everything that remained in the dark is now coming out to light. Evil is everywhere. Everywhere you look, evil. Everywhere. Everywhere. And for those of you that are butthurt because there's more evil in your place than others... Maybe you should check yourself. Don't get upset. Acknowledge it. You have the choice to know. And if you don't want to know, that's your choice too. Because how you decide is how you dictate your end. That's how it goes. Nobody else can tell you how your end is. You have to decide. Nobody else can decide that for you. So on that note, we're going to play a little song intermission and we're going to shift gears and talk about biggest weapon of war, which has been used throughout time. Disease.
We all know that. Of course they were going to pull this card. There was no other way for them to try to survive. Welcome back. Welcome back. All right, so now we're going to shift gears. We're going to talk about things you probably already know, but I guess collectively it may make more sense. Uh, and that's important most of the time because uh, it helps us understand uh, how things work. This guy here, interesting guy, isn't it? You see him? That is... Adam Schiff, when he held his Ministry of Truth meeting. Do you remember that? October 15th, 2020. It's a very important day. Very important things were said. And I was extremely pissed off, too. Do you guys remember that? It was a fascinating time. Because everything had begun to unravel before them right there. They knew that they were pulling that last pin. They had one bullet. And they thought they had aligned it all together so perfectly, so perfectly. They were like, Psh, what are they going to do? They can't do shit. Well, they were wrong. The people can do a lot of things. That's for sure. I think that we need to visit something it hasn't been talked about much. I'm going to take you back to 2015. 2015. Where discussions of biological warfare had begun. Biological warfare is how you take your enemy out and say, oops, I wonder who did that. Have you ever heard of something called Morgellons disease? It's a disease where people complain that they have like this stinging and crawling and like things are biting them and their lesions are not healing. It's really weird. They have like these weird structures on them and everything. And why do I mention this? Because what happened was, is that there was a, a Joni Mitchell had this condition and a Canadian banker blew the whistle. Her name was Marsha Pavlis. There was a report in the New York Times that Joni Mitchell, you know, the Canadian singer, was hospitalized with Morgellons. And the Canadian banker, Marsha Pavlis, 
blew the whistle on unethical practices by her employer, HSBC. <laughs> Funny, right? HSBC. That they had subsequently developed Mark Gallons too, right? The, the, the woman who blew the whistle on HSBC. It seems that it is a bioweapon that the government uses on the public. Speaking of bioweapons used on the public, do you remember when I did that show about these like people being attacked by invisible beams in uh, Cuba? They were called, uh, was it uh, direct energy weapons that they constantly had headaches? Called them targeted individuals. This affects humans very precisely. It's quite interesting that whistleblowers would always get sick. They'll attack them with anything. I mean, cancer would, have, would be too much of a coincidence because usually an insult causes it. But cancer is usually an effect that people some have if they can't uh, attack with, uh, you know, heart guns. You guys have heard the rumor about that. Come on. Morgellons, right? These energy weapons that apparently Kamala Harris had to be held back because somewhere else it was happening. And you're just like, wait a minute, did they just admit to another conspiracy theory that again has come true? This is an international criminal syndicate that carries out such attacks on humans constantly. And it was used in order to silence people because if you were using it on a mass way of depopulation, it wouldn't work. Instead, they decided to use vaccines. They decided to use vaccines and, you know, weaponizing a couple of bugs, you know, herd of Lyme disease. We did that. And then we have insects, right, that we've actually created for war. Guys, this has been going on for millennia that you weaponize bugs. They've used, uh, they would use beehives and wasps nests, scorpion bombs, they would throw uh, bombs with bugs into prisons. They've been using bugs as weapons of war, not only to cause pain, right? But to actually destroy nations' agriculture. So they, with the intention of causing sickness, hunger, misery, deadly pathogens, Deadly pathogens. This has happened throughout time. It's not something new. Did you think that all the bad guys went away and they hadn't been around? Even in the Old Testament, there were scriptures of it. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out. Hmm. Do you remember that? Insects have been completely weaponized. Have you ever heard of Operation Fling and Sting? Yeah. This is the way military would deliver maximum, you know, pain. They'll slingshot that shit, right, and catapult it, you know, just to get at their enemies, Throughout history in Europe and Asia and North Africa, there will be tons of accounts if you look. 
where they're talking about how they would clear ships. Ships would be cleared. The deck would be gone. There'd be no deckhand left by just chucking over a couple beehives and wasp nests. Yeah, weaponizing. Did you know that the Emir of Bukata, what's known today, because, you know, nations fall, borders are redrawn. It's now known as Uzbekistan. He was a sadist. And throughout history, he's known for something called the Black Well. He had this well where he would, it was like 21 no, 31, 20, between 20 and 30 feet. How's that? Or <laughs> 19 to, I hate that number. So let's go eight low, 18 to 38 feet deep. Okay, let's stick it with that. And basically, um, he would put bugs in there. And he would throw his victims in there so that assassins bugs would eat them slowly. They would eat them slowly. It is the most aggressive and disgusting form of warfare, right? You would say. The Viet Cong also, uh, you know, used the Asian uh, honeybees, right? Um, to throw them at soldiers. Our government even funded the research to devise, uh, you know, ways to to get rid of these uh, um, these bugs easily, or to spray right chemicals like like pheromones to attract bugs to other people. This this is real. This is warfare. This is how twisted the human mind is. It's it can be as dark as you can imagine. As dark as you can imagine. Disease has always been the choice of war for those that wish to conquer the people and depopulate, of course, because that's how it works. Now, I thought that we could look at disease in a crash course history uh, video. This is uh, from Crash Course. We've watched a couple of his videos. They're not always ideal but and thorough, but they touch on specific points that are important. Take a listen. This is Crash Course World History, and today we're going to talk about a subject that makes me profoundly uncomfortable, disease. This is a tough subject for me personally because I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, but to be fair, my fears are kind of rational. I am afraid that my existence will be ended by a soulless microscopic organism, and to be fair, they have killed a lot of people. You're not paranoid if germs are actually out to get you, and as we'll see today, they are. Fortunately, we live in the 21st century when communicable disease does not play such a massive role in human history, unless, of course, you count bird flu or, or SARS or HIV AIDS or antibiotic resistant bacteria. All right, Stan, let's just go to the intro.
Okay, so longtime viewers of Crash Course will remember the 16th century great dying in the Americas, not only as an example of historians' total inability to name things, but also as perhaps the most important and wide-ranging effect that disease has had on human cultures in millennia. But traditionally, the study of history hasn't focused much on diseases, partly because they're mysterious and terrifying, and partly because they don't fit in very well with our ideas about history being the result of human agency. We like to imagine that things happen because we did good things, or because we we did bad things, or at least because we did some kind of thing. But in fact, history often happens because lots of people got smallpox. There's also the fact that diseases were often seen to be the result of divine will, or else divine wrath. Plus, because people didn't know that much about disease, they didn't write about it very often, and when they did write about it, they didn't always write about it particularly well. So when you read primary sources, often they're like, why'd they die? Well, too much of that miasma. That's not particularly helpful to us. So given all that, we are going to have to engage in a bit of speculation here. Mr. Green, Mr. Green, I love speculation. It's way more fun than history. Like, what would have happened if the South won the Civil War? No, me from the past. Not that kind of speculation. The kind of speculation where you guess what did happen, not what would have happened. So diseases have been with humans as long as there have been, like, humans. And humans first appeared in tropical regions in Africa, which are home to a wide variety of microparasites, so it's probably a good bet that those parasites played a role in keeping human populations really low for a long, long time. It's only after we see migration out of Africa and into regions less amenable to diseases about 64,000 years ago that we start to see the growth of human populations necessary to create what we problematically call civilizations. So humans migrated into river valleys that became the cradles of civilization, with agriculture and surpluses, etc. This allowed us to escape those population-limiting tropical diseases, but it created all kinds of new disease problems. The communities in river valleys had more people and more population density, which allowed for epidemics. I mean, one of the great things about hunting and gathering is that diseases cannot wipe out a city if you don't have cities. Also, river valleys can be breeding grounds for disease, especially where cultures developed irrigation, which often relied on slow-moving or standing water. And if you've ever had to clean a bird bath, you'll know that standing water is the perfect environment for disease carriers and nasty microorganisms. For example, schistosomiasis was recorded in Egypt as early as 1200 BCE. What is, what is that, Stan? Oh, apparently it's a parasitic flatworm. Do we still have that? Yeah, we do. We do. Awesome. Anyway, lots of diseases come from domesticated animals, but you can't have bacon without swine flu. So, you know, it's come see, come shop. That's going to be a hilarious joke when we all die of swine flu. Just kidding. We're all going to die of bird flu. But from like a macro historical perspective, it's not like diseases all downside. I mean, sometimes it's helped populations shield themselves from conquest. That was the case in Africa until the 19th century. Okay, so we like to say that one of the hallmarks of civilization is writing, and pandemic diseases were the type of events that people tended to write about in early civilizations because they were a big deal. Like pestilence appears in the Epic of Gilgamesh, early Chinese. Chinese historians describe the increase in disease as populations spread from the northern Yellow River region to the more tropical Yangtze River region. Ancient Greece was relatively disease-free because of its climate and also the isolated nature of city-states, but the more the cities became involved in trade, the more susceptible to epidemics they were. The best example of this was the plague that struck Athens in 430 and 429 BCE during the Peloponnesian War. And that leads us to a very important point, which is there is a decent correlation between war and disease. 
armies tended to carry it along with them, and food shortages and displacements made civilians more likely to get sick. That is still very much the case, and the weird symbiotic relationship between war and disease is something that we're going to look a lot at in the next several weeks. But nothing spreads disease quite like trade. Trade is so good for economies and so bad at keeping individual human beings not dead. Like ancient Rome's integration into transcontinental trade networks, like the Silk Road, may explain why the historian Levy recorded at least 11 pestilential disasters, and it is very likely that disease and the accompanying decline in population contributed to the fall of the Roman Empire. But of course, you can't talk about the history of disease without mentioning the most famous epidemic of all time, the Black Death. I mean, if the Black Death were a soccer team, it would be Liverpool Football Club. If the Black Death were a band, it would be the Beatles. If the Black Death were an industry, it would be 18th century textile processing in Liverpool. The plague, which struck Europe in the mid-14th century, originated in fleas that came from rats. And bubonic plague can be found throughout the world, even in the western U.S. today. It's more treatable now, thankfully. But anyway, the Black Death started in China and spread westward over the caravan routes, really picking up steam when plague-carrying rats jumped onto Mediterranean trading ships. So the death rate from this plague was incredibly high. Perhaps a third of people living in Europe died. Oh, it must be time for the open letter. Oh, look, it's the Grim Reaper. Stay away from me. An open letter to the Black Death. Well, I just wanted to say something. Um, do you know how they discovered how people were getting sick with a disease in London once? So apparently, uh, I think it was cholera, the, they were constantly drinking water, right? And... Um, or was it the plague, the bubonic plague? So they were drinking water, and it turned out that people that weren't getting water from that area were not getting sick. And the reason that a lot of people were getting sick is because they were using that water to create beer, and that's how they found it, because someone had contaminated the water. Dear Black Death, I don't want to compliment you, but that term, Black Death, is just some fantastic branding. Such a scary term. It's a shame that people in the actual 14th century didn't use it. It was first coined in 1832 by a German doctor and professor of the history of medicine, J.F.K. Hecker. And the term became popular in English after it was used in a history of England by Elizabeth Cartwright Penrose. So great job, J.F.K. Hecker. It took a historian who was also a doctor to come up with a name as catchy as the Black Death, but for once, historians, you did it. A Terrifying thing got the terrifying name it deserved. Best wish. Well, this one's is going to be the Red Death. Wishes. John Green. So we're not 100% sure that the Black Death was bubonic plague. Its virulence suggests that in some places it might have been pneumonic, but we have descriptions of it that match bubonic plague, like this one from Florentine chronicler Matteo Villani. It was a plague that touched people of every condition, age, and sex. They began to spit blood and then they died, some immediately, some in two or three days, and some in a longer time. Most had swellings in the groin and many had them in the left and right armpits and in other places. One could almost always find an unusual swelling somewhere on the victim's body. Stan, I appreciate you doing that in text and not pictures because it sounds truly horrible. So basically what that means is their lymph nodes were swollen to high heaven. Thank goodness that was the last we saw of outbreaks of bubonic plague. What's that? There was an outbreak in 1904 in San Francisco? Oh boy. And India in 1994? Obviously the plague affected a lot of individuals' lives, but it also affected world history. Like plague probably contributed to the fall of the Yuan Dynasty in China in the 14th century, but its greatest effects were felt in Western Europe. Okay, let's go to the thought bubble. There's some debate about whether the Black Death kickstarted Europe's economy and ended the Middle Ages. It probably did create some opportunity, like guilds were forced to admit new members to replace the many workers who had died, and persistent European 
European inflation until the end of the 14th century suggests both a shortage of products and higher wages. Again, Matteo Villani provides us with some evidence of the effect of the plague on Italy's economy. Nurses and minor artisans working with their hands want three times or nearly the usual pay, and laborers on the land all want oxen and all seed and want to work the best lands and to abandon all others. So the plague may have actually been good for workers, at least those who survived. The plague also probably changed European Christianity. When faced with seemingly random and widespread deaths, some people abandoned piety for hedonism, and ineffectiveness of priests in dealing with the crisis may have led to an increase in anti-clericalism and a greater receptiveness to the ideas of the Protestant Reformation. And attempts to combat the plague changed the way that Europeans lived, too. For example, there were new construction techniques, such as building out of brick instead of wood. And in many places, tile roofing replaced thatched roofs where rats like to live. These new shelters created more barriers between humans and disease-carrying rodents, and plus, there were fewer plague-infested rats falling out of the sea. So that's nice. Thanks, Thought Bubble. So the Black Death looms larger in our Eurocentric imaginations, but in terms of devastation and human suffering, it pales in comparison to the great dying that accompanied the Columbian Exchange. The pre-Columbian Americas were certainly no paradise, but the records we have suggest that Amerindian cultures were largely free of disease until the arrival of Europeans. They did have syphilis, but that's preventable. Not to be redundant, but the most obvious and often most overlooked aspect of the great dying is the dying. I mean, perhaps 90% of native populations of the Americas may have perished, destroying communities and families and entire cultures. And at the same time that diseases were destroying indigenous social orders, Europe's population was growing, thus creating more pressure to colonize the Americas, Asia, Africa, and eventually Australia. And so it's fair to say, as historian Jared Diamond has, that disease was, if not the decisive factor, a crucial determinant of Europe's dominance in the modern era. So while not exactly... <laughs> Sounds like it was the perfect plan, wasn't it? Sounds like it was the perfect plan. Clear the forest so we can come in. Hmm? Clear the forest. How nice to put a silver lining. Those that will remain will be building a new era. Sounds terrible. Terrible. But right now, we are going to go to an intermission in our conversation because my president's on TV. So let's go. Let's put my president on because he's going to talk. Airport. Now, tonight, we pray for all of those that have lost their lives, their families, and sadly, we fear that the bloodshed is far from over. Before we interview President Trump, he will join us tonight. We exclusively obtained, it just released moments ago, this message from President Trump to you, the American people. Take a look. As one nation, America mourns the loss of our brave and brilliant American service members in a savage and barbaric terrorist attack in Afghanistan. These noble American warriors laid down their lives in the line of duty. They sacrificed themselves for the country that they loved, racing against time to rescue their fellow citizens from harm's way. They died as American heroes, and our nation will honor their memory forever. I want to express my deepest condolences to the families of those we have lost. Today, all Americans grieve alongside you. Together, we also pray that God will heal the other courageous American service members who were wounded in this heinous attack. In addition, our hearts are with the families of all the innocent civilians who died, 
and with the many men, women, and children who were terribly injured in this act of evil. This tragedy should never have taken place. It should never have happened, and it would not have happened if I were your president. Over the past few weeks, I know that many Americans have felt profound sorrow and even pain watching the events taking place in Afghanistan, and perhaps none more so than the veterans of that 20-year war. Many of them answered the call proudly and without hesitation after the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. Every American who served in Afghanistan has made tremendous sacrifices for our country. On behalf of your fellow citizens, I want you to know that those sacrifices were not made in vain. We know what you did. We know how brave you were. And we thank you. We salute you. And we honor you for all time. I hope that every American will join me in continuing to pray for the safe return of all U.S. citizens and soldiers from Afghanistan in the coming days. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless America. Can we get a mic drop? Like, that's exactly how presidents talk. You heard what Biden had to say. Wasn't very presidential, was it? It was not presidential. I told you at the beginning of the show. One party discusses God, one party promotes God, and the other party promotes darkness, discusses darkness, and eliminates God. Pay attention. Pay very, very close attention. Because like I said, in that darkest moment where you're just like, this is not going to go well, you will be fine. All you have to have is faith. And on another note, who's really the president right now? Let's just say. So I'll be keeping an eye out until our president pops back in while we get into more weaponizing disease for war. I wanted to, before we go into this really nice cartoon about the Black Death, I wanted to take you back to 2017. And I wanted to show a segment that, you know, I know a lot of you have talked about it before, shared about it, but this is how we've actually been seeing them admitting to what they do. Mosquitoes are about to invade 20 states in the U.S., but you might not want to squash these bugs. The army of weaponized insects will target disease-carrying mosquito populations across the country. The EPA approved the plan from a Kentucky-based biotech startup. They say it's an alternative to killing mosquitoes with pesticides. But people living in the areas where these mosquitoes are about to be released are concerned for their safety. So to help us break it down, we are going to bring in uh, Brian Lovett. He's an entomologist and a Ph.D. student at the University of Maryland. And he's joining us via Skype from the university in uh, College Park. So, Brian. When you hear weaponized mosquitoes, <laughs> it's like something out of a sci-fi plot. Yep. There you there go. go. You're back with us. You, you dropped out for a second. Uh, it's like a sci-fi plot or something. Uh, you've written on this topic. You you know about this extensively. Just mm-hmm. ex- explain it a little more. Weaponized mosquito? Yeah. Um, so the name weaponized mosquito sounds really scary, um, but they're not actually weapons to anything except female mosquitoes. So the mosquito that Mosquito Mate wants to release, the company who got this approval are Aedes albopictus mosquitoes. 
Uh, this is the invasive tiger mosquito. Um, it's one species, uh, which is a serious problem in the eastern United States and in um, California. And the way that their technology works is by taking advantage of the biology of this mosquito. So the female mosquitoes will bite. They can transmit diseases, yellow fever, dengue, Zika, and chikungunya. But the male mosquitoes, they don't bite. They feed on nectar, and all they really do is mate with female mosquitoes. So this company wants to release these male mosquitoes to go find the female mosquitoes and mate with them. Now, the way that their technology works is with a bacteria called Wolbachia, which lives inside the cells of these male mosquitoes. And when a male mosquito is infected with Wolbachia, it is sterile unless it mates with another female with Wolbachia. So since the natural population of Aedes albopictus doesn't have Wolbachia, all of these mosquitoes that mate with wild mosquitoes won't be able to reproduce. So this will effectively suppress the mosquito population. Okay, so you mentioned the tiger mosquito. It'd be interesting if there's an equivalent of Lobachia that could be transcribed with mRNA in certain cohort populations. And when you mm -hmm. said that, I recall, you know, these mosquitoes that have stripes on them, I presume those are the ones, and they mm -hmm. seem to sort of take over several years ago where they weren't around before. And unlike the previous type of mosquitoes, they're, they're flying around at dusk, at dawn, at high noon. They're basically out there all day long. I live in Philadelphia. We have a major mos mosquito problem. Are those yeah. the mosquitoes you're talking about? Yeah, that's exactly right. So this is a mosquito that was introduced to the United States from um, Southeastern Asia. So it's an invasive species. Um, and unlike the ones that we have here naturally, uh, they bite all day long, mercilessly, as you <laughs> as you yes. pointed out, uh, and they breed in all sorts of containers. So anything that can even hold a small amount of water in your yard, they'll breed in. They'll produce more mosquitoes in that area, so they can quickly take over um, in areas where they're they're capable of growing. So for folks who are worried about these mosquitoes, even though the science and the logic behind this is solid. Help people understand why pesticides are probably not the way you want to go, and this is a more viable solution. So one of the biggest issues with uh, pesticides is where do you spray them? Mosquitoes are defined, and the places where you do find them, it's hard to target them with these pesticides. Um, so the major advantage to this technology over pesticides is, uh, one, these male mosquitoes are actively seeking out females. And then the other thing that they're doing is they're only mating with females of the same species. So you don't have to worry about this technology hurting any other insects. So these are mosquitoes, though. I mean, they, they bite like other mosquitoes. What happens when you get bitten by a weaponized mosquito? Yeah, so the mosquitoes that they're releasing are males, so they don't actually bite anyone. Oh, there you um, go. Learn something so new. These, these mosquitoes, all they're going to do is they're going to feed on nectar in your backyard. Um, and mate with these female mosquitoes. Um, so they're not going to hurt you at all. And then regarding the bacteria, uh, which, which they put in these uh, mosquitoes, it's actually very common. So 60% of insects uh, have this Wolbachia already. It's already flying around in your backyard and other insects. Um, it's very safe for humans. It can only infect insects and some other arthropods. So what I find uh, interesting, Brian, is how this is being used in the United States. But as you well know, mosquitoes are responsible for killing so many people around the world, specifically in third world countries, uh, in mm -hmm. Africa, uh, in, in, uh, in India. I wonder, could this be used 
in a place like Nigeria, for example, where children die of malaria, uh, other countries where young people, young kids essentially are dying from malaria, as, as you know, it's one of the number one killers in the world. Yeah. Um, so Wolbachia certainly could be used uh, to try to control Anopheles mosquitoes as well, which are the ones that are, are transmitting malaria. Um, however, a lot of Anopheles species, uh, they're very cryptic, which means they don't mate with um, they don't mate with one another. Or they have sort of smaller populations, which don't mate as easily as mm. these 80s populations where you can create a mosquito in Kentucky, like this company Mosquito Mate, and release it elsewhere in the country and it will still be just as effective. Mm. Um, so there are some difficulties to using it in Africa, certainly. So I have one, one last question for mm -hmm. you. As much as they are annoying, mosquitoes are part of the ecosystem. I mean, they, you know, they're food for birds and so on yeah. and so forth. And is there a problem if you send out these weaponized mosquitoes and they, you know, slash the regular mosquito population in half or more, is that going to affect the balance of the ecosystem? Uh, so by removing this one mosquito species, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to return that ecosystem back to what it was before this mosquito invaded. Um, so the ecosystem should be able to adapt and, and will be fine if these mosquitoes are released. Other mosquitoes which aren't transmitting diseases or aren't as um, annoying to us uh, can replace that population. Really fascinating stuff. Brian mm -hmm. Lovett, thank you so much for talking with us. We appreciate so let me explain to you something about experiments. Before you conduct any experiments to humans, you create mice that mimic the genetic, the target demographics, genetic makeup. And you test and you test again. And then you try to find out the most simplest form. Genetically modify a living creature to mate with one of its species to sterilize it because you have some bacteria or some virus or something inside you. I know a lot of you, and I feel it all the time when I'm around people that have, you know, you feel the effects. For me, my menstrual cycles have gone completely crazy. I want you to pay attention. When you want to test something, you test it with something cheap and fast. Why do you think they use flies for genetic cross-matching or pea plants? Simple genetic code, simple observations, simple tweaks. This is why Moderna was able to create their mRNA vaccine in two days. Remember the CEO, what he said? I think I have the video to hand so I can play it again for you. Um, do I? Gosh darn it. No, I don't. Oh, darn. Do I? Say I do. And I do not. Where he said, we wrote the code in two days. And then I want you to look at names, you know, symbolism. Pfizer, right? What's it called? Bio and tech. Bio and tech. They tell you everything you need to know. So again, the Drosophila, right? We use them cheap, hard, fast, short lifespan. So you can pick up the dead bodies and check them, right? This is why you use bugs when you want to test shit. Because I didn't see a lot of people getting Zika virus. I didn't see a lot of people getting West Nile. Yeah, you'll get a few here and there. 
but kind of difficult, you know, jumping like that. So now let's get back to the Black Death. Let's talk about that for a second. It's a great cartoon. I love his cartoon, seriously. Like, this guy makes amazing videos. I, I just, I'm lost for words. Not always very accurate, but very entertaining. Over of 1347, 12 ships dropped anchor at a Sicilian port. Those who eagerly approached were met with a grisly sight. Almost all aboard were either dead or barely alive, their skin erupting with blackened boils that dripped pus and blood. In horror, the Sicilian authorities demanded that the ship set sail, but though they left, the damage had already been done. The Black Death was now in Europe, and millions would die in what is considered one of the greatest disasters in history. Let's explore how the bubonic plague wiped out at least a third of Europe's population, if not more, in this episode of the Infographic Show. What made the Black Death so deadly? Europe was hit hard by the plague, but it was not hit first. It was also not unaware of a disease that was already bringing widespread death and destruction elsewhere. Before the infested ships arrived in Sicily, rumors of a frightful sickness devastating the populations of first China and then India, Egypt, Persia, and Syria had spread near and far. While no one knew what caused it or why, it seemed to follow trade routes spanning the near and far east. Further, when it appeared, it was by all accounts unstoppable. Those struck by the Black Death would begin to swell at the lymph nodes located in their groin area or underarm regions. The growths would soon develop into large blackish-blue egg-sized lumps, or for the even less fortunate, expand to the size of apples. These would then fester and ooze various bodily fluids. Beyond this, those with the disease could develop any combination of a series of additional symptoms. These included fever, pain, chills, sweating, upset stomach, and diarrhea. Almost always, this was followed by death. According to those who observed its effects firsthand, all it appeared to take was a brief physical contact with the clothing of someone who was sick to pass the disease onto another. Though some doctors claimed that it was the spirit leaving the body of the deceased that infected others as it passed by. Obviously, at this point in history, the real methods of disease transmission were not yet well understood. Without understanding it, most were helpless to defend against it. Few areas other than some islands cut off from the rest of Europe by the sea made it through the pandemic plague-free. The rest of the population was not so lucky. The bacterium infiltrated virtually every European city's defenses, and many who appeared perfectly healthy one day could be dead a few days later. It was uncommon, though possible, for someone to survive a week or two before he or she died. Compounding problems further, those with the disease would typically be asymptomatic for the first few days, and so no one would be aware that they had caught it. This meant that successfully isolating them from the rest of society at this point was all but impossible. Those who tried the next best thing to protect themselves by fleeing for the country were not safe there either. The plague decimated livestock as well, and countless pigs, cows, chickens, goats, and sheep who also died a brutal death. This was such a problem that it led to a shortage of wool throughout the continent. While many European areas had a death figure of around 30%, 90% of the Italian city of Florence perished. Sometimes bodies of the deceased remained where they had died, as there were not enough people still living to bury them. 
thousands of French villages in addition to areas in other locations were left without a single remaining soul. The Black Death had mercilessly transformed them into ghost towns. In some instances, nature eventually took over, and areas that people once called home were reclaimed by surrounding forests. It took aerial photography following the end of World War I to rediscover these locations as places where men, women, and children once lived. Most estimates place Europe's death toll between 50 and 70 million, or around 30-some percent, though the CDC claims it killed as much as 60% of the population, which is considerably more. Worldwide estimates typically range from 155 to 200 million. The world at the time was a mere 500 million people, so nearly half of all its inhabitants, or again according to some sources even more, were killed. So how was it that the Black Death was able to spread so quickly and wipe out so many? people and animals alike. Well, for one, as previously mentioned, there was little in the way of scientific knowledge in the 1300s. Not only did people not understand the plague's causes or modes of transmission, but there were also countless failures in how those in the medical field attempted to treat it. It is true that Yersinia pestis, the bacterium behind the Black Death, or bubonic plague, is highly contagious. It can also be spread in many ways, though obviously contaminated spirits aren't one of them. Many believe that in its later stages it had the ability to morph into an airborne strain. That could be passed on to a new host via a simple sneeze or cough. However, all strains airborne or those in the more initial stages that are not are believed to have been transferred through a flea or lice bite, and many animals in addition to countryside livestock serve as hosts for the bacterium and blood-sucking pests. Examples are things like squirrels, rabbits, chipmunks, and mice. However, many in the scientific field have argued that by far the worst contributor to the spread of the Black Death was the urban rat and its flea. Part of the reason for this belief is that rats have been observed to develop symptoms quite similar to those in people. And in cases of a modern-day plague, many people with the sickness had accompanying bites from fleas. Recent outbreaks often follow what's known as rat falls as well, or where rodents die off in record amounts for whatever reason. Thus, the most prevalent theory is that the Black Death all began when rats with the plague died and their fleas then looked for more blood in another readily available source, which would at times be human. Upon being bitten by the contaminated flea, this person would then be exposed to the deadly bacteria. Seemingly in support of this theory, ships during the mid-1300s were commonly infested with the furry rodents who thrived in their dark, moist environment. And following the death ship's arrival in Sicily, the plague continued to spread further, following a trade route pattern, as it had previously in Asia, to other port locations throughout Europe and as far down as North Africa. However, more recently, there have been some proposed tweaks to this rat-based theory. As we just mentioned, the Black Death, after all, is not the only outbreak of the plague in the world's history. There have been outbreaks before as well as after, and those that took place more recently followed a different pattern entirely. Europe's Black Death spread much faster, and as far as historical records are concerned, there was no mention of a mass rat die-off in the days or months preceding it. Now, some scientists suggest that it was human fleas and lice that were the true culprits behind Europe's version of the disease. In this case, fleas would bite infected people and then move on to others one by one who happened to be in their nearby vicinity. They describe the underlying mathematical model that a rat flea spread follows is quite different from a human flea or lice one. And when information is plugged into simulations, the human flea model more closely matched data from seven of nine plague-hit European cities. 
Those with this newest evidence admit that the causes of the plague are surrounded by ongoing controversy. However, whether the fleas were of human or rat variety, it's a blood-sucking pest of one kind or another that likely passed it on successfully and so very quickly. It also turns out that the Black Death may not have been causing mass devastation all by itself. When victims' bodies were exhumed from mass graves in England, anthrax spores were also discovered along with them. If anthrax was occurring at the same time as the plague, this would definitely have made things much worse. Anthrax can not only be passed by coming into contact with sweat, saliva, or tears, but also by mere skin contact. In other words, at the time of the Black Death pandemic, people could have come down with a life-threatening disease of one kind or another in pretty much every conceivable way. It's possible anthrax and other diseases made people extra susceptible to the plague due to already compromised immunity. Also, it's possible that the body count of those claimed by the Black Death included victims that actually died from anthrax or other diseases. Beyond its quick transfer from host to host and the contributions of additional disease, the way the Black Death was treated failed to help and may have actually helped kill victims or spread it further unintentionally. For example, at least initially, medical practitioners would do things such as perform bloodletting on patients with the plague. This is where they cut into the veins or arteries in the neck or arms of those who were sick so that their blood flowed freely. This procedure was nothing new, and in fact dated back as far as to the times of ancient Egypt and Greece. Historical figures believed that to be healthy, the body needed the right balance of blood, phlegm, and bile. Bloodletting was believed to correct a possible imbalance of too much blood, which is what caused the person to get sick. Unfortunately, the procedure appeared to be as ineffective for the victims of the plague as it was for Charles II or George Washington centuries later. While Washington awoke with a sore throat and King Charles suffered a seizure. Following bloodletting treatment, both died shortly thereafter. Boil lancing was another technique used as a form of treatment, which was just how it sounds. Someone would essentially lance or stick a pointy object into the boils to drain them of their gooey contents. If this wasn't done, they would only continue to grow larger and, in time, poison their host due to the mass buildup of dead blood and pus. Then again, popping them could also cause death due to toxic shock. Beyond the patient likely dying, the boils contained highly contagious matter and possibly spread the disease yet further. Other methods such as burning of various herbs or immersing the sick in vinegar or rose water were also, unsurprisingly, ineffective. In time, after failure upon failure and in an attempt at self-preservation, many doctors simply stopped accepting patients. Even priests began refusing to perform last rites out of danger for their own safety. Where men failed, nature did little to help either. Not only did people have little idea of how to handle the plague, but they were genetically prone to succumbing to it. Studies of the remains of the European population at the time determined that only 0.2% had a gene that offered them any form of immunity. The other 99.8% had none. Since so many of those who were susceptible to the plague died from it, they did not pass their genes on further to the following generations. Many of those who did have the gene lived on to procreate. This is why Caucasian Americans now have a 15% chance of having some resistance to the disease. This is pretty good news, considering the modern form of the plague is still around today. One encounter via the 12 so-called death ships would go on to wipe out men, women, and children to such an extent that it would change the tide of history. What do you think? Was it past? So, uh, changing the tide of history, depopulation, was it fleas, was it rats? I could tell you that if you look into actual history and actual documentation, 
And I used to do that wherever I traveled. I would always go kind of look like it was in the water and in the food. And it was transmissible through the food. Now, our president had joined Sean Hannity while we were watching this. Let's take a quick cut to take a listen to our president. United States President Trump. Mr. President, we, we played your, your remarks that you just released. Uh, I want to first get your reaction to the events of today. And I've got a lot of questions I want to ask you. Well, it's so sad. It's probably from the standpoint of military tactics and, and just uh, embarrassment, uh, the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to our country. We look like fools all over the world. We're weak. We're pathetic. We're being led by people that have no idea what they're doing. They take the military out and then they say, now we'll bring out the people. And all of a sudden the Taliban walks in. We had the Taliban so under control, they wouldn't have moved without getting our approval. We had an incredible agreement. They weren't killing our soldiers. You know that. And it was part of it. In fact, Biden actually said that today. He said they weren't killing them because of the agreement that we had, that we did. And they hadn't killed one of our soldiers in uh, many, many, many months. And they weren't going to because they were afraid to. And we had them totally in control. All of a sudden, Biden administration takes over and they say, we're taking the military out. They didn't take, say they're taking the people. First, you take the people out and then you take the equipment out. We left $80 billion worth of equipment. And I want to tell you, I think our soldiers, forgetting about even civilians, I think our soldiers are in tremendous danger. I think airplanes flying in and out of the airport are in tremendous danger. They have the best equipment, best rockets, the best tanks and helicopters, Apache helicopters, a lot of them that are immensely valuable. And by the way, Russia wants them because they want to examine them because we have far superior technology and China wants them. This is the, the dumbest thing. I think it was the dumbest move anybody's ever made, perhaps in the history of our country, allowing this to happen, taking the military out and then say, oh, we hope to get the people out. And then when I hear General McKenzie say that the Taliban is going to protect us. The Taliban's the enemy. I dealt with the leader of the Taliban. This is not this is not a very simple man. This is not a Boy Scout, to put it another way. This is a tough, hardened person that's been fighting us for many years, and we're using them now to protect us. Now look what happened with their protection. A hundred people, much more, they say, than a hundred people were killed, and thirteen of our incredible military were killed. And that's just the beginning because there are many of our military in the hospital right now, very badly wounded and hurt. Mr. President, let me ask you and get your reaction to President Biden's presser today, where he is sticking to this artificial deadline and clearly accepting and acknowledging that the idea that Americans will be left behind and the allies that they now have the database. They even handed over a list of people that we wanted to, to to get through to the airport, that those people will be left behind when promises were made, not necessarily where we, we take them, but we'd get them the hell out of there. Um, pretty much a, a, a death sentence for all of them 
The Taliban's already been going door to door. We have reports of it. But what is your reaction to sticking to this artificial deadline and your reaction to the idea of accepting a notion that we leave Americans behind? So they gave this list of Americans to the Taliban, who we've been fighting for many, many years. And they're tough fighters. They're good fighters. But now they can be much better because they have the best equipment in the world. And so much of it, they don't know what to do. They'll be selling it on the open market. But we gave that to these people. And ISIS-X, as you know, I knocked out 100% of the ISIS caliphate. I knocked it out in Syria, Iraq. We knocked it out. So now they have a new ISIS called ISIS-X. And that's members of the Taliban that are far more vicious because they don't like the way the Taliban's behaving because they're not vicious enough. So this is Taliban fighters that are much more vicious. And we're using the Taliban and giving lists of Americans to the Taliban. So now you just knock on the door and grab them and take them out. This country has never seen stupidity like this. And our country is really in trouble. Our country is really in trouble. And it's only going to get worse. What you're watching now is only going to get worse. It can only go one way. We had something where they didn't get near us. They were petrified of us. I let them know that if they do anything, we hit them right where it hurts, which is their homes. And they know it. And they were waiting for us. They would have been very happy to let us go and, and take every American and anybody else we want to take our equipment. And for some reason, he botched the plan and took the military out first. Now, it's a very sad day for our country and a great embarrassment. Beyond embarrassment, it's a very dangerous day for our country. Mr. President, let me go, because Joe Biden brought it up in his exchange with Peter, our own Peter Ducey today, and that is that he inherited uh, your plan. Uh, and I want to go over it because I had both Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, also former CIA director, and I had your chief of staff, Mark Meadows, on my radio show. They both been on this television show and they went into great detail about what your plan was. And maybe the Biden administration, the Democrats love to release transcripts of calls. I would love this one to be released that in no uncertain terms, not once, but on numerous occasions, but before any negotiation began, that you got on the phone with the leader of the Taliban and you made it as clear as day. You reminded him about killing Baghdadi and his associates and you reminded him about killing Soleimani and you reminded him about the caliphate that you destroyed. You reminded him about killing the Al-Qaeda leader in Yemen and that you said that if they didn't follow, these are their words, uh, every I, every T crossed, every I dotted, every comma and period that you would obliterate them and use every means available to you to do that. And you brought this up at the beginning and numerous times throughout the process. Also, that your deal was conditions on the ground based and it included you keeping control of Pogrom Air Force Base. Can you tell us first about the call and then the deal? Well, it was a tough call, and it started out by saying that they will be hit harder than any country has ever been hit in the history of the world if they do anything, and in particular kill our soldiers or even try to kill our soldiers. 
And even Biden admitted today that the reason they didn't kill any soldiers and we haven't lost soldiers in many, many months because of the agreement that we signed, because I wanted to get out. I wish we never went in. The biggest mistake we made in the history of our country was going into the Middle East. I call it quicksand. And we went into the Middle East and we shouldn't have been there. We blew it to pieces and now we're leaving. And because of what they're doing, we're leaving in disgrace. We could have left with great dignity. We could have left with safety. We could have taken everybody with us that we wanted, all of the great American citizens and people that helped us, whether it's interpreters or others. But we could have taken them out very easily and we wouldn't have had a rush because the Taliban was not going anywhere. We had them totally under control. Every time we saw movement, we'd hit them with an F-18 and the movement stopped. But we had very little of that because Abdul, who I spoke to, who turns out to be the leader, Abdul would not let anybody do anything. And I can tell you what happened. In my opinion, they went to him and the other leaders and they said, the American military is leaving. They're pulling out. And they were probably looked at the people that said it and said, you got to be. There's no way that's happening. There's absolutely. I'm telling you, they're leaving. They couldn't believe it. And then they sent some fighters in and there was zero resistance before they got blown away. Zero resistance. And then they sent the whole group in and yet thousands, tens of thousands of Taliban. And then on top of it, they went into the warehouses and they sold this equipment and they took it. You see them marching down the streets now with brand new, the best rifles, better than our soldiers have. It's a disgrace. And it's about the withdrawal. It's not about getting out because getting out is something I've wanted to do for a long time. And they're right when they say a lot of generals didn't. We have, by the way, we have great generals in our military, but not the television generals, not not the guys you see on television. You look at what I did with ISIS and how we beat them. We beat them with great generals. We had great, great leadership. We have the greatest military in the world, but we look like a bunch of fools. What happened, what they've done is incredible. So they walked in without a bullet being shot, without a bullet being fired. They walked in and they took over Kabul and they took over everything else. And if you look back at a timeline, we held them totally steady, but I wanted to get out, but we had to get out with dignity. We had to take our $80 billion worth of equipment. We had to do all of the things that you know we had to do. And then I would have blown up all the air bases, but I would have kept Bagram because Bagram's located right next to China, right near China and Iran. And it's in Afghanistan. So we had the whole group covered. They spent $10 billion building it and we handed out the keys. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Mr. President, let me, I've been playing on this program a map. And this map, it, it goes through the, we walks people through the, the movement of the Taliban starting in April and May. And I'm not sure if you have a television on in front of you, but it shows all of a sudden, May, June, July, and you see all of this territory as the Taliban was taking over control of pretty much the entire country. Um, our intelligence agencies knew this. I'm getting reports that they were giving dire warnings to the White House that while they had control of Kabul, that they could have they could have expedited the withdrawal and they could have not only gotten every American out while they had total control, but every Afghan ally out and that military equipment, the 83 billion dollars of which you refer out. The question is, 
is as you look at that map and you see why I cannot get a, a, a reasonable answer to this question. Why didn't they stop them in April and May or June or at least expedite the withdrawal, seeing that they were squashing this great Afghan army that Joe Biden in late July was was telling us about? Why didn't they do it sooner? Sean, you didn't have to expedite anything. We had plenty of time. They weren't going to move. They, we had them under total control. We had the airplanes. We had the Air Force. They had nothing. We have, it, it's just incredible what's taken place. And if you look at where it starts turning redder and redder and redder, and then all of a sudden the whole place is one big red color, that all took place after January 20th when they assumed – there was no reason to expedite. I could have taken two years, three years to get them out. We were going to get them out fast, but there was no reason to use the word expedite because we were in no rush. We controlled everything, and they were afraid to move. They wouldn't have moved, Sean. They wouldn't have done a thing without my approval. Everything they did was conditions-based, condition-based, and the biggest condition, you can't kill Americans. And they can go back to their civil war after we're gone. They can do whatever they want to do, but you can't ever kill Americans and you can never come to our homeland. And he knew what was going to happen if they ever did it. And he fully understand it. it was a very respectful conversation he had with your president at the time. And it's a horrible thing when I watch what's happening. Even the fact that you use the word expedited, there was no reason to expedite. We had total control. We had all of the air bases. They weren't moving, Sean. They weren't doing anything. Everything that they've taken was after Biden took over. We had everything the way it was, and I was not a fan of that war. And I was never a fan of when Bush went into the Middle East. It was one of the worst days in the history of our country and the world, frankly. But they did it. They decided to do it. And it's been nothing but a catastrophe ever since. But this is now the lowest point. Because yeah, so, so let me be clear. There was no reason to run. There was no reason to run and there was no reason to expedite. Because if, if Joe Biden had stuck with the Trump plan, the first movement of the Taliban to any other province outside of that which was agreed to, they would have been met with fierce military force to push them back immediately. Correct. Is that your is that what you're saying? That's the difference because well, that didn't that happen after happen. January 20th. They knew that was going to happen with me. I mean, you ran through it. I don't have to. If you look at al-Baghdadi, he was the founder of ISIS. We took him out. Nobody could find him for 15 years. Far bigger than Osama bin Laden. Far bigger. Osama bin Laden, bad, and he hit you know, the World Trade Center. And it was a horrible thing. But al-Baghdadi was the founder of ISIS. And you look at Soleimani, he blew up everybody, the roadside bombs, and he was looking to do tremendous damage. He was going to knock out five of our sites and thousands of our soldiers in the Middle East were going to be killed. We took him out. Nobody believed it at the time. The head of Pakistan said it was the single biggest event that he's ever seen take place in the Middle East. He said 50 years and maybe even 100 years took him out. We had everything under perfect control. And then Biden came in and they saw weakness and he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. And they took over and then we ran out and we've just destroyed the image of America, of our great country, of our incredible warriors. And they are incredible warriors, but they still need leadership at the top and they don't have it. 
Mr. President, let me take you back to remarks you made in 2017 um, because you ran in 2016. I covered, as you know, that campaign extensively. Uh, you ran on the idea that there would be an orderly withdrawal from Afghanistan, but you decided to slow the withdrawal down in 2017. And here is what you said. The consequences of a rapid exit are both predictable and unacceptable. 9-11, the worst terrorist attack in our history, was planned and directed from Afghanistan because that country was ruled by a government that gave comfort and shelter to terrorists. A hasty withdrawal would create a vacuum that terrorists, including ISIS and Al-Qaeda, would instantly fill just as happened before September 11th. But, but you had got to the point where you felt it was safe enough, that you could have a withdrawal in such a way that you're leaving in place the pieces where the Afghan army and enough air support that they would be able to keep the peace, keep control, and keep the Taliban at bay. You, you did make adjustments to your policy. No, I had it. I had it set up so perfectly. It was done so well. We were all ready. Everything was good. We had the Taliban totally frozen in place. They weren't going to move. And that's when I made my move. But, you know, we rely on stupid people like H.R. McMaster, uh, John Bolton. Some of these people were really stupid people. I mean, Bolton was involved in getting us in with Bush into the Middle East. But you rely on people. Fortunately, whether it's Fauci or them, I don't listen to a lot of people if I think they're bad ideas. But we have a lot of very bad and very, uh, the only thing I can think, not very smart people giving advice. But we were set up and it didn't have to be hasty. The, what I said is exactly right, because we didn't have to go quickly because we had them frozen in place. They weren't going to move. And Abdul, as I like to call him, Abdul was just going to wait us and just he was going to go in and he was going to be fighting. Now, I've told you numerous times the Afghan military was paid a lot of money by the United States. Those soldiers were among the highest paid soldiers. They weren't fighting for their country. I remember when Mattis was saying, sir, they're fighting for their country. They were fighting because they got paid a lot of money. And as soon as that money, as soon as that spigot was turned off, they turned and that was the end of that. Now, this was a horrible thing. We had that so beautifully placed. If we would be there now, we would be, if we would be in as president and with the administration, you would have seen something very nice. Nobody would have even realized we had gone. Everybody would have been out. The equipment would have been taken out. I would have blown up all of the bases. We would have kept Bagram and we would have had some pretty talented people there, but we would have kept it because of China and Iran and Afghanistan to a much lesser extent. And literally nobody would have even known they go back to their whatever they do and let them fight each other. We should have never been there and never been in the Middle East in the first place. Now, now that you've made clear what your plan was, Joe Biden clearly didn't stick to that plan. This is where we are at the president's press conference today. Joe Biden sticking to this artificial deadline, accepting of the fact that Americans will be left behind and the allies. We already know the Taliban's going door to door 
identifying. Now they have the data to identify and the biometrics to identify any uh, Afghan that helped us in the last 20 years. Uh, I've been talking every night this week to Colonel Oliver North at, with each passing day and the deadline of Tuesday approaching, our options become limited. Is this a So weird that he mentioned Oliver North. Damn it, did I mention it on air? Ah, oh, I know I mentioned it to Mr. Rudy Giuliani. Situation where we potentially could leave hundreds or thousands of Americans behind enemy lines and allies that we had made a promise to extract if this day ever came behind to be murdered. And, and there's going to be mass executions because Joe Biden's adhering to the Taliban's given date of August the 31st? Well, Biden and the woke generals, they're just woke. I mean, you look at what they're talking about. I was seeing even at the end of my time, I was seeing letters being sent out about equality and all of these different things. The soldiers, they want to fight. They want to be prepared to fight. They want to be soldiers. But the woke generals, and it's gotten to a level where that nobody can even believe, they were looking to get out. But they forgot one thing. They forgot to take the people with them and the merchandise with them, meaning they forgot to take the greatest military equipment anywhere in the world with them. And it's... Uh, Hard to believe, actually, because a child would have understood you get the military out last. A child would have understood that. How could they have done this to our country? Well, I, I, I've been trying to rack my brain and, and um, you had access to some of the brightest military minds in the world. I've been told this is not, Mr. President, this was not an intelligence failure, that the warnings were dire and were repeated and that the intelligence community pulled their own people out many weeks ago, seeing what was on the horizon, but they didn't keep it to themselves. They rightly, we have the best intelligence gathering services in the entire world. They shared their information with the White House, with a strong admonition and a strong warning, and there's no, and, and, and nobody acted. If you're thrown into a situation like this, looking at it just where we are right now, putting aside your plan that they didn't follow, is there any option that you see available to help save every American? Is there any option you would employ at this late hour to help the, that was to protect Americans and not leave them behind? We have been put in the worst position we could possibly be put in, a position that nobody would have even thought possible even two weeks ago. Nobody would have thought this would be possible, that we could be in a position like this where the Taliban and others are dictating. And they're the ones saying get out on the 31st. I think Biden wanted to stay, but they said we will not have you get out. There will be consequences. You heard that. That was said by the leader of the Taliban. We want you out by the 31st. There will be consequences. What kind of stuff is this? These are the people that we had at bay to a level that you wouldn't believe. There was no way that they never even fired on our troops. They didn't. Again, we didn't lose any troops for just like long extended period of time. Nobody was even fired, frankly, until today where we had a tragedy take place. And that's because of this agreement. And Unfortunately, Biden didn't follow it because he took the military out first and he left everybody open. And I feel very, very badly for the people. I think they're in great danger for the Americans. And I feel very badly for a lot of people that were very loyal to our country, whether it's interpreters or others. They were very loyal to our country. But uh, 
We certainly are in a bad position. There are always alternatives. You can do things. There are things to do. But I don't want to talk about it because if I ever did give the idea, I don't want to give it to the enemy. You know, it's not like, oh, gee, I'm on Sean's very highly rated show. And let me give you some nice ideas. And then they prepare for them. That's the problem. Everything we do is on television. You see it on television. What are we going to do? And you have five people talking, including generals talking. And now they're really hitting uh, Biden very hard because I see that the generals are talking to the press. Can you believe it? Do you think that uh, Patton and the great Douglas MacArthur, General Douglas MacArthur, do you think they would uh, do the kind of things that you're saying? They're saying terrible things about Biden. They're hitting them hard. And it's all coming from a certain group of television generals. But we have great generals. Look at uh, what I did with ISIS. I mean, those are generals that were... Phenomenal. I'll give you their names if you'd like them at the right time. But we have some great generals and they don't play games. Let me ask you this, Mr. President. Jack Keane, um, General Jack Keane on Fox, a senior strategic analyst, uh, talked about what will now be the reality. Joe Biden confirmed today that our military will be gone no later than next Tuesday. It's Thursday night. That's not long away and that there will be possibly hundreds, if not thousands of American hostages caught behind American lines. I never right. thought in my lifetime I'd ever report that, sir. Well, first of all, Jack is great. I gave him the Presidential Medal of Freedom at the White House. He's a fantastic man, uh, was stronger on staying there than a lot of other people were, to be honest with you. But he is a fantastic guy and a great patriot. He loves our country. He cannot believe what's happening. Nobody can believe what's happening. And you know who he looks so bad in front of is Russia and China and uh, Kim Jong-un, North Korea and uh, the European Union, they're laughing at us. They had a horrible meeting with the G7 the other day. They went out and they were going wild. You you saw what happened in Parliament, British Parliament, where statements were made about our country and about our president. Nobody has ever spoken about our country or our president the way they did in Parliament. It is so embarrassing. But the embarrassment's the least of it. There's great danger right now. They have unbelievable weapons. They have people, as I said, that broke away because they weren't, because the Taliban wasn't mean enough and vicious enough. And that's the new ISIS, ISIS X, where they broke away, or ISIS K. They'll have an ISIS X pretty soon, which is going to be worse than ISIS K. No, it's a very sad day for our country. And there are things we can do, but just not things that we want to talk about right now. You know, when Biden got up and he talked about, we're leaving, we're leaving so fast, we're leaving right away, we have no choice, but we'll come back and we'll get them. We're not going to get anybody. Once you leave, you leave. We're not going to get anybody. He talks like a tough guy, and he's not a tough guy. He's just the opposite, and the world knows it. Well, the Secretary of State said they would then, if they all our troops will be out, they're sticking by the deadline. Joe Biden confirmed that today. And then they said that there'll be diplomatic or other economic um, strategies they might use. Uh, when I heard the word economic, I started thinking Americans caught behind enemy lines, held hostage at the whim of a terrorist group. That sounds a little bit like ransom to me, Mr. President. 
No, they have the cards with this group, and there are things you can do to counter it and things you can do to counter it very strongly, but they have the cards. But when you say Secretary of State, when you watch the decisions that are going to be made and being made, and you know what's going to be made because they played all their cards, and look at the great job that Mike Pompeo did because he's tough and he's smart. Number one in his class at West Point and a great student at the Harvard Law School. He was he did a great job as secretary of state, but he was tough and he knew what was happening with this. And he knew what was happening with China and Russia. And we would talk often. We had it all planned out. And then they decided to move the military out and let's not follow the plan. It's like the only thing is it's like the border wall and nobody could handle it worse. We had the greatest we had the greatest protection that we've ever had on our southern border, and now we have the worst. And it was the worst nightmare to watch it. That looks good by comparison to what's happening in Afghanistan. You mentioned these hostile regimes. You mentioned China. We can talk about, you mentioned Kim Jong-un. You mentioned North Korea, the Iranian mullahs. Uh, we see the geographical, geopolitical uh, maneuverings of China. They want, quote, reunification, basically the takeover of Taiwan. They're lecturing Americans on human rights in front of Tony Blinken, and he sat there and took it. Uh, they're telling Americans that we need to get their permission to land in Taiwan. Uh, they're also saber rattling all throughout the China Sea and threatening our military bases. And now there are reports that they have worked their way into Afghanistan as, as now a strategic partner, and they're trying to strategically align with the Taliban. Then you got Russia, China, and Iran now doing war games together. So what is your interpretation of, of how these hostile regimes are viewing America at this moment of time with Joe Biden, what, eight months in office? Well, President Obama and uh, Vice President Biden drove Russia and China together. The all-time curse. That's the one thing you didn't want to do. And because of energy and their stupid policies on energy, it drove China and Russia together. Congratulations. That's what they've done, and that was bad. As far as Taiwan is concerned, you never saw bombers flying over Taiwan. You never saw any threat. They didn't even mention Taiwan while I was president because— President Xi knew you can't do that. That was something you can't do. I had a very good relationship with him until the China virus came in. Then I changed my mind on a lot of things. We made a great trade deal with China. I don't even talk about it. The farmers are the biggest beneficiary and the manufacturers. They benefited greatly and they're doing great because of that trade deal. I don't even talk about it because once the China virus came in, it was a whole different ball game. But I had a great relationship with him. And then that relationship, I just, uh, it's just, it was too big. The, the COVID, COVID-19 was just too much to uh, have that relationship, probably caused by incompetence, but who knows, a terrible, terrible thing. But uh, you look at what's going on with Taiwan now. They're flying bombers over Taiwan. They're very threatening because they see what's happening in Afghanistan and other places. They see what's happening on our southern border where millions, millions of people are pouring through our southern border. Uh, they, 21 percent have COVID, 21. So they're infecting our country all over and nothing's done about it. It's a very, very bad time for this country. 
You talk about open borders. You talk about the high rate of COVID positivity. We've now become we're now at the point where Joe Biden's begging OPEC to produce more energy. You left the country energy independent. Joe Biden had no problem changing uh, your successful border policies that were working, your energy independent policies that were working. Um, now we've got inflation on top of it. Now we've got uh, breakthrough COVID cases. And again, that high rate of positivity among those entering the country illegally, they're just being processed. Nobody is being stopped. Uh, where do you see this going economically for the American people? And we got about a, a minute, sir. Well, you could have massive inflation. Uh, you look at gasoline was $1.87 a gallon, and now it's going to be well over $5 a gallon very shortly. That's going to drive in itself inflation, but food prices are driving it too. Food prices are doubling and they're going to be tripling. We have a very, very tough period of time to, to come. And uh, they weaponized the Justice Department. They've weaponized the IRS. They go after Republicans. We have a very, very rough road, but I believe our country, something good is going to happen. I'm a big believer in something good is going to happen. And uh, we're going to figure it out. And hopefully the people of our country are going to figure it out and fast. And the whole pact that you have now is save America and make America great again. And because of yeah. legal reasons, you told me last week, you can't answer the question if you're going to run. So I won't waste your time on it. Is that fair? I just think people are going to be very happy. But that's right. Because of campaign finance reasons, you can't talk about it. If you could, I would be talking right now. But uh, yeah. people are going to be very happy. Mr. President, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you for your perspective at this important moment. We appreciate it. And our thoughts Thank and you. our prayers are with the families of these brave servicemen and women that lost their lives, severely injured, and the civilians and their families, and those trapped behind enemy lines, um, and those allies that are pretty much targeted for death. It's all the time we have left. Let not your hearts be troubled. Troubled times. Laura Ingram. All right, guys. So that was our president who threw Fauci into the war. And uh, I'm going to end that today, but I want to tell you, if I was playing this game, let's pretend I was on call of duty and I answered the call for duty, I would get Biden sick. Well, right now I would be distracting all of them with this war while the people are creating, are amplifying their voices and causing those that want control chaos by sending letters, by filing lawsuits, by subpoenas, by FOIAs, by resistance. And so while they're busy mitigating their side, hating them for the war and the other people that have been like, yo, Trump won, are sitting there filing lawsuits, standing up, uniting in one voice, countering that chaos, taking out the judges that shouldn't be there. Suddenly, I would probably, in my script, get Biden sick and enter Kamala Harris. And now we can't have a witch in the White House, especially when things are getting even worse in Afghanistan, no one is obedient to vax mandates and passports. There's a rip and a tear and suddenly the witch is out. Yeah, but in the meantime, unity is important.
unity across our nation is important. They have deployed all assets. This is full-blown information warfare. They are destroying America, and you can see it. But what you must have is faith in humanity, faith in yourself. Huh. And remember, united, we are unstoppable. So it's about time we get off our knees and stand up. Then you realize just how minuscule they are. And like President Trump infers, God wins. Because it's about to get really, really ugly. And you have the choice to either bend the knee and roll over because you think you lost and regret it later. Because people can make plans, but God also makes plans. And while they would want to litter the streets with the blood of people, the martyrs, that won't happen. It's 2021. Been around this block before. One voice, strong, together. From now until the end of October, there will be full-blown chaos. It'll be a difficult, difficult entry into fall because fall is exactly what you will see. The cabal will begin to fall. It's still going. Light is still there. And it will get really, really ugly. Boot on your face. What you are seeing across the world, do not think that will not come to you. Keep your head down. Do you stand firm? Hold the line. Hold the line. There are many more of you out there than you think. And there are many that are going to be joining the ranks very, very soon. They're about to get fed up. I mean, he gets sick. You mean he kicked him out? She comes in. I don't think so. We don't want that woman. She's, that's Hitler-esque. Yeah, okay, this, but we're still not dead yet. Pay attention to what I just told you. If I wrote that script, this is the way it would go. Now, it's up to you to know. No one else. You're the only one that can know. On that note, I think, man, you know, I, I'm always looking for this. I really need to find my song so I don't get dinged. God bless you all. I don't want to set the world on fire. Just want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart, I have but one desire, and that one is you. No other will do.
lost all ambition for worldly acclaim. I just wanna be the one you love, and with your admission, you'd feel the same.